0: So let's dive right into it. Let's talk about UFC 261, man. This was, in my opinion, one of the best events we've seen in years. And not just the main event, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but it started off insanely. You know, unfortunately for the UFC, it seems like they were trying to market to the Chinese audience, try to grow their presence in that area by having, I think there was four Chinese fighters on the card and a Mongolian, Um, and all of the Chinese fighters lost pretty handedly as well, so it was a bit unfortunate that happens, man. I remember watching a Canadian fight card once, and all the Canadians lost, and it just is what it is sometimes, you know, you never know with this sport, but the fights that were on the early prelims, which I know a lot of people don't watch, were unbelievable. They were so good. There was this one fight where this guy, he seemed to just not care about defense in the third round after getting dropped twice in the second. And he just just kept marching forward the whole time and just did not quit through the entire third round, was getting hammered, and kept fighting. It was incredible. The first fight started off, it just instantly started off with an explosion, and the fans were so ready for it. It was incredible to see often You know, I've been to a couple UFC events, and often when you get there for the early prelims, the arena's almost empty. Well, this wasn't the case. Everyone was ready to go. That arena was packed out from the the start of the event all the way till the end of the event, and the crowd was going insane. I got to say, it was nice. It was nice to see fights with no fans and really get to experience that. But now that the fans are back, this is the only way to do it, man. There's no other way to do it. We'll get to see no fans on the contender series and that'll be fun, but for the actual main events, man, there's no other way to do it. You gotta have the fans there. They just bring such a crazy extra aspect to the UFC that it's just irreplaceable, you know, and I could tell that the fighters could feel it too. The fighters could feel that like we're back. We're back in action with the UFC and just authentic fighting. Like they, they just change everything, you know, with that with that energy in the arena. And I think we saw that especially with the prelims because these prelims fighters, you know, usually they're not used to being in front of big audiences like that. So with the, with the champs, with the people that have been around for a long time and made these performances multiple times before, maybe it doesn't affect them as much, right? And I'm sure it's different for every fighter, but maybe they're a bit more used to it. They're a bit more calm in the chaos, but these prelims fighters, man, they've never seen this before. They've never experienced this sort of attention and it was just crazy like you could tell they could feel it because the way they kicked off that fight was the the event was just just ballistic and they went through it and all the way up to the main card was exciting fights man it was just it was just one of the best events we've seen in a long time But, you know, diving into the main event a little bit, just the first couple fights before we talk about the championship fights in an isolated, let's talk about Weidman and seemingly Jimmy Crute, both just getting eliminated by leg kicks. You know, Jimmy Crute's movement, a lot of people are talking about it as if it was the same as Sean O'Malley's, but I think that's a bit of an early diagnosis. I don't think we know yet because, you know, Sean O'Malley... It seemed like only his ankle went out. Same thing with Henry Cejudo uh, in the Demetrius Johnson fight. It seems like their ankle went out. Jimmy Crute, it seemed like his whole leg went out. Right when it lands, he brings his leg up and stomps on it and then just instantly falls down. Like his whole leg. It wasn't that he rolled his ankle like Michael Chandler as well, right? That they were rolling their ankle, but their leg was still moving. It really looked like Jimmy's whole leg was jacked. And then it started moving a bit better and he didn't have control over his ankle. So it's really tough to see like where this went wrong. It could have been nerve damage as well as knee damage. Like he could have his knee could have exploded. Either way, Anthony Smith won that fight because he landed that leg kick, right? So it doesn't matter. He landed that kick, he did that damage. But he was landing this beautiful jab throughout the entire fight. And I think this is gonna it it showed all the way until the main event because the fundamentals. Are underutilized by a lot of MMA fighters. And getting good at the fundamentals is more important than any other aspect in fighting. Genuinely. And he displayed that, man. He was displaying being a veteran, being, you know, calm and cool and and fighting well, and not caring that this guy was this up-and-comer that hit super hard. You know, Jimmy Cruz's great. He's a really talented guy. But Anthony Smith just showed that there's a lot of dog left in that fight you know people were writing him off because he's had so many fights and his records a bit choppy but that's just because he you know he learned he learned doing it right like he didn't he didn't get really good outside of the sport or get really good in the amateurs he just sort of dove into professional fighting and records really don't mean anything to me especially in mma but he's still a totally top contender at 205 so i want to see that guy keep going and then chris weidman man that was just devastating (laughs) I wanted to throw up because just seeing his leg explode like that was uh, pretty remarkable. And a lot of people were saying it's karma. (laughs) You know, I guess what's interesting though, and this is a point to note is if you want to block a kick, if you want to check a kick, that spot just below your knee, just below your knee is definitely the spot to do it. It's the hardest spot in your lower leg. And that's where Anderson landed his that exploded his leg. And that's where Chris Weidman landed it on Uriah Hall and Credit to your eye hall for being a total class act like he always is. But that event was ballistic. You know, I mean, the perfect event to come back to. You know, the perfect event to come back to the fans. So, Rose is the champ again. And this is something that's. I think she's one of the most, was one of the most underrated fighters in the strawweight division. And I say that because people seemed to write her out of this fight, even though she's done so well, really, you know, she had one loss against Andrade, but she was doing great in that fight before she got slammed. She's been so dominant in, in a lot of her last fights. And and then again, people look at her earlier record and it's the same thing. She was like 22, 23 when she suffered some of those losses and Now she's only 27, really not even entering her her physical prime just now. And my opinion is that Rose is clearly the most talented fighter in that division. Now, there's a lot more to fighting than talent, right? There's cardio, there's um, durability, and there's heart, obviously. I really think that she's got all the heart in the world, but the talent is, in my opinion, a level above everyone else in the division. She's got crazy precision which gives her that power and she's got amazing movement and ability to fight that I don't think we can see in any other fighters like even Ioana get got beat by her dominantly and then in my opinion it was it was a great second fight they had but she got beat again clearly and Wei Li what I thought coming into this fight was Wei Li will probably lose the first two rounds and then come back in the third, fourth, and fifth with that conditioning and durability. But she just got caught, man, and she got caught badly. And it's interesting because she was throwing this this lead inside leg kick. And what often happens is when you throw a strike, it reminds your opponent of that strike's existence and they'll throw it back. And I'm sure that if anyone's sparred and anyone's listening to this that has you know sparring experience, you'll know. Sometimes you'll be halfway through the round and someone will throw a leg kick on you and you're like, oh, wait, I can throw leg kicks too. You just sort of like forget about these strikes. So I think that Wei Li got into her head that, oh, I've been landing this inside leg kick. Rose is gonna wanna return the inside leg kick. And Rose was setting up these amazing feints the entire time. Even though she only landed a couple jabs, she was setting up these feints the whole time and her movement isn't just movement. It's movement, but it's also threatening attacks the entire time. So when she moves side to side, when she starts threatening these attacks, even if she's not landing, she's still leading the dance. A lot of people understand that fighting is a lot about rhythm, right? It's a lot about developing that rhythm. It's sort of like a dance, especially you can see it in Muay Thai. It's very, very rhythmic with their actions. And Rose was leading that rhythm. So even though Wei Li was landing some nice leg kicks and Rose was landing a couple of jabs, Rose was still in the dominant position in the fight, in the sense of the rhythm and the flow of the fight. And that's why when Rose decided to change that rhythm quickly, Wei Li wasn't ready for it. When Rose decided to wait, stop, stop moving. Lee stopped moving. She froze up because Rose has been leading this dance, and this dance was to move. And now we're not moving. And then Rose just lands that flush high kick, and it was a wrap. You know, Wayley seemed to think that it was an early stoppage, but especially watching the slow mo replay, you can see that her eyes just aren't there. Like her focus is no longer in the fight, and she's Rose has her back and is landing hammer fists great stoppage by the referee there's no real real reason to let that go any longer you can clearly see this fighter isn't going to be able to defend herself and a lot of the times when people say oh it's an early stoppage like the first fight of the night it's it's the referees making that call that hey i can let this go on longer like i could let her go completely unconscious or i could save that damage because it's obvious that that's the route this is going and that was the route that it was going and it's not fair to say oh well she popped up quickly because, well, she popped up quickly because Rose stopped punching her in the face, right? Realistically, that fight's over. Flush head kick. And the slow-mo is crazy. I didn't even see it when it was real time. I didn't understand how, how flush that kick landed. But in the slow-mo, when you have your hips back, but your body's forward, like her face was completely open for the taking. If her hands had been slightly more forward, she probably would have caught it on the forearm. And it would have at least slowed it down and probably not finished the fight. But her hands were just up too high. The kick snuck in and completely put her out this ties rose for the most knockdowns in all wmma i believe she's tied with amanda nunez and i could be wrong about that it could just be the most knockdowns in strawweight, but i think it's the most in all fighters in women's mma so that begs the question you know a lot of people say she doesn't have power but she clearly has power and I think this is like an Israel Adesanya type power where it doesn't seem like they're genet- generating a ton of energy and just cranking their opponent. Unlike Wei Lee, who it really seems like she's generating that power and just cranking her opponent. What Rose is doing is she's landing the shots exactly where they need to be landed. That left, cook, that left hook that dropped Joanna exactly where it needed to be landed, right on the jaw, right? That kick exactly just her foot was just right along the jaw completely exactly where it needed to be and that's why precision beats power it really does and rose clearly has that precision what do we want to see next where where do we want to go man i would love to see a rematch because i want to see that fight flesh out again and unfortunately there's just not that much competition at 155 and you know, Esparza is actually, she's coming up there, and that could be a fight that we could see. But realistically, man, when we think about the top of that division, especially now that Jessica Andrade has left the division, and personally, even though she lost, I still think that 125 is a better place for her. I think that's her natural weight class. I still think that this rematch could be the best fight. But inarguably, Rose Namajunas is the most talented strawweight fighting right now and she could be the most talented we've ever seen in the UFC that could be we'll see though over the next couple fights so Valentina Shevchenko just absolutely dominant performance yet again and this is the case where we see someone that was not able to have a weight class of her own that was really for her now finally get that weight class And it's funny because people sometimes compare her fights to Amanda Nunes, who I believe wholeheartedly in my heart that she won that second fight. They compare those fights as if it was like an even fight. When realistically, Valentina was fighting out of her weight class. She was not fighting in her natural weight class. It's like having to fight bigger opponents than you should be fighting and still performing great. She beat Holly Holmes. She won multiple fights in that division. She, you know, raised her close decision against Amanda Nunes, who we now know is you know, undeniably the greatest of all time, that begs the question, just how good is Valentina Shevchenko? And I think, personally, and this is a biased opinion, I think that she is the greatest of all time. And I think she has yet to prove it. But I think that that's the case. Because we can't really compare her fights at 135 to her legacy. Because that's not her natural weight division. We're seeing her at her best at her natural weight division at 125 pounds. Can she compete at 135? Obviously, she proved that. But she's dominant at 125 like so dominant and people saying oh jessica andrage wasn't a great test are you kidding me man the jessica andrage has wins at 125 135 and 115 she's one of the best women's martial artists we have today she was just a 115 pound champion and then came up and beat the number one contender at 125 pounds by stoppage what are you talking about (laughs) just because Valentina made it look easy and beat her at the game plan that she said she was coming into this fight with. She was like, oh, you think you're gonna outgrapple grapple me? How about I just grapple the crap out of you and finish this fight with a crucifix. So where's the ceiling for this fighter, right? She's so good, and it was funny, she's so good that we've set unrealistic expectations for her. In her last fight, she got taken down once, and gave up the round. Wasn't super urgent getting back to her feet. She she showed she could be held down, but I really think she understood it was a five-round fight. It was, I think, the first or second round that she got taken down. So why waste that energy when you still have three more rounds? And then she won 49-46 or something. It was still a totally dominant performance, but we set these unrealistic expectations on them. So when an opponent that's a professional fighter lands a punch or lands one takedown, the judge's Not the judges, sorry, the announcers and us as fans like freak out and we're like, wait a minute, they're human? And it's like, yeah, of course they're human. She's not just going to go out here and completely obliterate all the opponents, hopefully. Otherwise, you know, who's the opponents? Why are we even putting them in the cage with her? But I think we're seeing the development or the proof that she could be the greatest women's fighter of all time. She could be. She could be on that path. And I know it's tough because, you know, Amanda Nunes is a two time champ, but just imagine the judges had decided that Valentina had won that fight at 135 against Nunes, That would have completely changed the entire career trajectory of Nunez, right? We wouldn't have seen all these great fights. So it's so tough to really analyze who's the greatest of all time. And we can't really ever know because it's always going to be based on opinion. But Shevchenko's still young and she still wants to be active. So we could really be seeing the future of, you know, the greatest women of all time. And, and a lot of people want to see the rematch. I'm actually not interested in that rematch at all because... It's not really a level playing field, right? That fight is always going to be not level in skill, right? For Valentina Shevchenko because she's going up against a stronger and bigger opponent. So she would have to be significantly more skilled to make up for that strength and size difference. When in reality, if we're looking at greatness on basis of skill alone, it should be how they perform against people their own size, right? If we're talking about skill and she's decimating people her own size decimating them. So where's the ceiling? I've got no idea, man. I think I think we should just keep seeing her just be built up and built up and just keep fighting the best at 125 and keep winning. That's what I want to see. I, I thought Wei Lee was going to be a fun fight coming up. If she beat Rose, I thought that was going to be a fun fight coming up to 125, seeing this performance. Um, I question that. I think that, you know, Shevchenko just probably would be dominant in that fight as well, but who cares, you know, make these fights. Like this is amazing getting to see her fight. so just how good is Kamaru Usman I think that we're seeing right now a sort of Daniel Cormier like situation where you know Kamaru came out last night being booed by the fans and then in reality over the next couple of fights and over the next year or so people will start to realize that he is one of the greatest of all time and that he's going to go down as a legend in the sport I think he's now I think his record is now 21 and one or 20 and one he's never been beaten in the UFC. He's clearly only getting better. And I wanted to touch on why he's getting better and notes that we can all take from him getting better. The guy is without a doubt the best welterweight on earth right now. He's beaten everyone. They've thrown out him. He's beaten all the challengers, right? We have yet to see wonder boy. That'll be a fun fight. But Gilbert Burns was a massive threat to him. Colby Covington was a massive threat to him. Jorge Masvidal was a great opponent. And he just starched them all. He knocked out all three of those guys. And he's just getting better. But what's great about it is we get to see what great coaching and great learning ability can do for you in the fight game. Kamaru Usman is the pinnacle of being willing to take the fight wherever it needs to go to win, finding the will to win, but also being perfect at the fundamentals. In the first round of this fight against Jorge Masvidal, we got to see that Kamara Usman still is clearly not at that level of striking. Okay, In a strictly striking match, Kamara Usman would probably lose that fight. Now, hear me out. What he's so great at is understanding that it's not a strictly striking match is mixing it up. That's why he got the knockout. Kamaru Usman wasn't the first guy to knock out Jorge Masvidal because he's the best striker Jorge Masvidal has fought. That's not what happened. Kamaru Usman was able to knock out Jorge Masvidal because he's the best mixed martial artist Jorge Masvidal had fought. Because his ability to threaten the takedown, to get the takedown, to be willing to just hold him against the cage for an entire round, to make it so that it was obvious that if it goes to a decision, I'm going to win, so you have to take big risks to try to get me out of there. That's what makes him so good. It's his willingness to be boring if he needs to be. It's his understanding of his own limitations within the ring that make him so good. In the first round, we saw that You know, Kamaru Usman has this problem where when he throws his hooks, he almost locks his arm out straight. He just can't really generate power. And not only can he not generate power, but he usually telegraphs greatly, misses, and then leaves himself exposed, right? And he did that a couple times in the first round. But what's great about him is the guy has taken notes and he has studied the craft of boxing. And he just did the fundamentals. I tell people all the time, you have to be the best at the fundamentals to be the best. It's not about doing something unique and different. Sometimes that can work, but most of the time, it's just about having the best jab, the best one-two, right? The, the two fundamentals, a good right hand will take you around the block, a good jab will take you around the, around the world. I'm forgetting who said that, but that's a great quote. Kamara Usman took those notes, and when he used them in the fight, he landed them consistently. He landed a one-two in the first round, and then he obviously landed it in the second round. Completely put him to sleep. And that's because he takes these notes and he goes, okay, if I keep my hands up and I land my jab and I do my takedowns and I mix it all up and I have the best cardio in the division, I'm going to win these fights. And he's right. That's all it takes is fundamentals and consistency. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into an MMA gym or a Muay Thai gym, and a guy who's two months in doesn't really know how to throw a round kick or a jab is on the heavy bag throwing jump knees and spinning elbows. You don't need any of that. Maybe later in your career, sure. You know, that stuff's also fun to learn. I get it. But be perfect at the fundamentals and you'll win. And that's what Kamaru Usman's showing us. The reason that he won this fight was... Jorge Masvidal kept trying to throw a check left hook. And the left hook was landing, but it really wasn't landing with enough damage to make Kamaru Usman scared of it, right? Very similar to the Luke Rockhold against you all Romero fight when he tried to throw that left hook and he just got completely, completely slapped. It's a really similar combination, actually, because I believe they're both left, uh, southpaws, So even though I get that normally it would work, you know, because they were both southpaws, it really didn't work. This situation was, Normally, Masvidal is great with his defense. He keeps his hands up quite high so he doesn't get caught clean. And when he does, it's, it's not enough to put him out, right? And that's a big thing, right? Being able to Even if you're able to block 30% of a punch, it still helps a lot when it comes to defense. And that's what's great about keeping your hands up. But against a guy like Kamaru, who's so willing to mix it up, right? So willing to be a mixed martial artist and has amazing takedowns, he has to sort of float that lead hand low, Right, he has to throw that left hook, and then also when he sees him coming in for that jab, because jabs into the takedown all the time, he does that a lot. He has to float that hand down so he might be able to stop the takedown on its way in. Right, that's why it was open to the right hand. That's what I keep telling people. Keep, I've seen already people saying, Kamar Usman outstruck," or yeah, he was a better striker than Jorge Masvidal. He wasn't. He was a better mixed martial artist, and that's why he showed that. It's so simple and so effective to throw a one-two. I think it was the best example of this fight because Kamaro clearly has a natural want to throw these weird like straight arm hooks and just sort of like wing his shots. That's what he like naturally wants to do. But when he remembers his lessons, he remembers exactly how to throw that right hand and pivot his shoulder and pivot into the shot, turn over his hand and completely sleep his opponents. He knows how to throw that jab perfectly complete. He extends it so long, perfectly. It's a perfect jab because he spent hours and hours and hours and hours practicing those fundamentals. So when he forgets them, he's throwing wild shots. But then when he remembers them, the shots are coming straight down the pipe and they're perfect. And that's all you need. I'll never forget I was in an MMA gym once and there was this guy who would just come back from Thailand and he just completely dismantled me by just having a a front teep and a jab. And I just couldn't even get in on him at all. And I was like, well, that's unbelievably annoying. You didn't really do anything. It, It looked like he wasn't even trying and he just said, well, these tools were working. So why change it up? And that's the thing. These fundamentals work. There's a reason why boxers have been using those fundamentals for all of their boxers for a hundred years because it works so never discount the fundamentals and clearly never discount Kamara Usman because he's on his way to being one of the greatest of all time and he could arguably be the pound for pound great right now and he's only getting better it's unbelievable to watch. And I think that now we'll get to see him really be more embraced by the fans and more appreciated for who he really is, which is not a boring fighter, <laughs> which is one of the best fighters on the planet Earth right now. So what's next for Kamaro Usman? You know, you could argue pretty easily that he's completely wiped out the welterweight division. There's two more fights that we need to see, two new fights that we need to see, and that's Colby Covington, again, actually three, Wonder Boy and Leon Edwards. You know, it's a bummer. Leon Edwards kind of screwed himself by really, um, you know, not taking enough risks, not uh, making himself be active enough. And that sort of has taken him out of that title shot picture, because I really think that if he'd gotten the fights that he needed to, if he'd fought one more time before Bilal or, you know, the Bilal fight hadn't gone the way it did, he really would be right in that title picture. But instead, he didn't do that, right? And so that has sort of put him on the, the sidelines for a little bit. Meanwhile, Wonderboy's been active and winning. And so has Colby Covington. He, he beat Tyron Woodley. He only, he only fought one time, but still. So th- those are the fights to make. But realistically, the challenges, and those guys are all amazing, and I'm sure they're going to present fantastic challenges for him. But, you know, for legacy's sake, it would be great to see him go to 185, right? But he's uninterested while Israel Adesanya is the champ there. And I would argue that Izzy has the potential to be the champ there for a long time. And even if he loses, you know, he'll probably get it back pretty quickly. So we're probably going to see Kamara Usman stay at 170, which is okay because 170 is stacked, you know. And the thing is, is I would love to see, I love rematches. And I would love to see these fighters sort of try to make adjustments and see how Kamaru is able to handle those adjustments. You know, I think people underestimate just how much of a threat Gilbert Burns still is. The guy is the only guy that I've seen drop Kamaru Usman. But also, he had a very obvious adrenaline dump, so I would really love to see him come into that fight, you know, less nervous maybe. It's hard to say, but I would love to see that fight again in a situation where Burns, you know, hopefully doesn't have a very obvious adrenaline dump or be overexcited during the fight. But the Colby fight's interesting. I can't imagine Colby doing better because Colby did great in the first fight. And Kamaru's been only getting better and his power is getting more. And Colby seemed to have trouble with the straight punches of Kamaru, right? And those punches are only getting stronger. And one of the reasons is Colby, he has his, Right hand perfectly glued to his face at all times. It's really a fantastic technique, right? But when you do the long uh, long guard and keep your right hand here, you're open to straight punches a lot. And now that kamaro's developed an incredibly long jab, an incredibly long right hand, that could really pose a real problem. So I don't know if that's the fight I want to see. Wonder Boy, I think we I think we know already that that would probably be a pretty boring fight because kamaro would have to make it boring. Because of the level of striking that Wonderboy is at, he would have to put him up against the cage. He would have to go for those takedowns. But that's an interesting fight because that, in my opinion, is the really raw like striker versus wrestler fight. I think it'd be super fun to see. But also, you know, Leon Edwards, where is he at? You know, Kamara's only real problem is if he really just falls in love with his striking and goes up against one of these great strikers and doesn't wrestle enough. I don't see him doing that. He's incredibly disciplined, which is what one of the reasons he's so great. But it's so tough to decide where he goes from here because there's so many great options still. The 170 division is still stacked. There's still great competition. So, you know... What do you guys think? Do you guys think he should go up to 185 and challenge for that title or even just get a fight in there first and then challenge for the title potentially? Or do you think he should stay at 170 and keep crushing these 170-pounders and, and see if there's a 170-pounder that can beat him? That's what I would love to see because I don't want the 170-pound division to be stagnant. I hate it when when divisions get super stagnant. That's why I loved that Izzy went up to 205 because he's so active. He's able to just do it right back and forth. But with Kamaru, you know, I I, I can't. I can't imagine that being as quick of a, of a time frame. So do we want to see the 170-pound division get stagnant? And I don't want to see that because that's such an exciting division. The next fight has to be Colby just because of the position of the rankings. And then frankly, the fight that should have been made is Leon Edwards versus Stephen Thompson for the title shot that's the fight that should have been made he's fighting Nate Diaz for whatever reason so then it becomes a question if Leon Edwards beat Nate Diaz and it's his only win in the past three years does he deserve a title shot over Wonderboy who beat Luque and then he beat Jeff Neal and I don't know if he had another fight I think he didn't I think it was just Jeff Neal so you know like who really deserves that title shot I would argue that it would pretty clearly be Wonderboy that deserves that title shot so that would be the next fight so it's an, it's interesting, man, and it's crazy. But I'm not. Sure, I don't know. I don't have a place that I want Uzman next. There's. I want him everywhere because I think he's. I think he's one of the best we've ever had in the UFC. He's 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 so exciting to watch because I love fundamentals. I love seeing how well they work, and he's a great example of that.